my life's work is dedicated to helping people get better. It's great that you have all these medicines, it's great that you have all these treatments, but how do we make sure that patients get the help they need? One of the greatest gifts that I've gotten for being a lawyer has been the chance to talk to people when they have no friends. Everyone's abandoned them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of I Am Christina D'Arcangelo. I am so excited to have my next guest on for today. I surely am not going to say his last name because I will also mispronounce it. Darshan, thank you for joining us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about our, yourself? Um, thank you for having me, Christina. My name is Darshan Kulkarni, and that's how you pronounce that. And uh, <laughs> I am, uh, by, by education, I'm a pharmacist. I'm an attorney. Um, I have a master's degree. Uh, I have a fellowship and a clerkship. Uh, in terms of what I do for a living, um, I am um, I have my own law firm that does food and drug law uh, and regulatory work. Um, I used to be a pharmacist, uh, spent 20 years as a pharmacist. Um, I teach, uh, so I used to teach uh, till last year uh, at, in the University of Sciences where I taught uh, bioethics and I taught uh, drug advertising. And starting this year, I'm teaching at Drexel, Drexel Law, where I'm teaching um, FDA regulatory law. And I'm going to be teaching uh, promotional compliance next and working on some more courses. Um, I, I write um, several, I've written books on the topic. I speak on the topic. I have my own podcast that does um, called Darshan Talks. Uh, I'm currently in the middle of sort of splitting that up into several different pieces. Uh, so there's Darshan Talks Pharmacy. Uh, I'm looking at a, a possible uh, offshoot Darshan Talks Trans um, because there's a there's a it see, I, I seem to be connecting with the community and I'm interested and excited to talk about that a little bit more. Um, I'm I'm looking at creating Darshan Talks. Um, medical affairs and clinical research and uh, promotional compliance, et cetera. Um, I'm also looking at uh, bringing a couple of software related to the medical affairs sales uh, clinical trial space pretty soon. So I'm excited about that as well. Um, I own a couple of gas stations. I have um, a, a little bit of a real estate portfolio um, and I teach, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting. Oh, I, I used to be a fighter and I still sort of, <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I was, let me see if I can help, uh, adjust this. Give me just one second. Uh, so if you oh, see, background, uh, I, I was us number two in there, number three in judo. Um, and those are the book chapters I've written. So I've written multiple books there. Um, and I won that award right there for best teacher. Let's see, what was the official outstanding adjunct teaching award? That's what that one was. Um, I, uh, and I'm a bit of a traveler. That's the other thing. So every year, um, for the last five years before COVID, I would take a month or two months off and backpack through a piece of the world. And, um, I, I did everything from my first trip, my first big sort of trip of a lifetime, as I called it was uh, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, Laos, Singapore, Australia, gave a talk in Berlin, and then came back. Then I had another one where I did Panama, Lima, Cusco, Sao Paulo, Rio, Buenos Aires, and back. Then I did um, Scandinavia. Then I did uh, Central Switzerland down to Cannes, like a like a whole South 
South Southern Europe trip, if you will. Um, and then I've done things like Belgium and the UK and all those. But um, I, I tried to cover a bunch of different countries. So um, travel was kind of important to me. Uh, I'm currently, um, let's, let's see, uh, I'm currently learning jujitsu. So I'm trading judo training for jujitsu training. <laughs> and it's interesting. I, I, I go from being a national level fighter in one to having 15-year-old girls beat the pants off me. <laughs> It's, it's painful, but it's a good, humbling experience. So. That's so awesome. You know, I trained Krav. Did you? Mm-hmm. Did you? Last year, mm-hmm, I started um, one of my partners, well, really my only partner in my companies, my chief financial officer, Stephen Adler. He um, is Jewish and he loves military that's one of his he's a big history buff and like a big supporter of veterans and and soldier uh, men and women and so he said to me last year he's like look i i know you could box like i i've been boxing for years and i'm scrappy when i box you know i hit that bag you know down there seven days a week and he goes i'm afraid that you know you you could box somebody but you're going to get a charge you know like a potential ag charge so he wanted me to learn the craft and so i did so i had a trainer come and it was during covid i started training and i i i'll tell you what i mean she trained me blindfolded i had to stand there with a blindfold on and wait for her to attack me right and when she attacked me, then I had to go. <laughs> and so yeah. it was so much. I mean, I have enjoyed, I've gotten to the point now where I can train myself, you know, at home because I have the necessary skills, but I'll tell you what, it's so exhilarating. So that's so awesome that you're doing that. And you picked up, you know, the fact that you've already mastered one and now you're moving on to the next, I think is awesome. And I love how you brought up like, you know, the humbling experience because that's what it is when we try new things. I mean, you're humbled by a lot oh, of these things. It's it's funny. Um, in judo, you mentioned some of the training and stuff that you did, but in judo, um, I grew up in India. I spent the first half of my life in India. And um, my, I've had, I actually made a collection of the unusual experiences I've had, and I'm up to like something like 150 <laughs> unusual experiences. But um, what, some of them in the context of judo were, uh, I, I had to train the Indian Army and the Indian Central Reserve Police Force and wow uh, yeah that's always fun uh, so they'd come over to my teachers and and that would be um one of the things i did um i i so so their their graduation was i have to sit down just just sit i'm not allowed to do anything i'm just supposed to sit and they have to choke me out if they can't choke me out they can't graduate oh <laughs> but, but my, the test was i'm not allowed to tap out Otherwise, I fail. Oh, no. It was great. It was fun. It was, I was <laughs> <laughs> but that was fun. Um, but th- that's kind of like some of the some of the fun experiences you go through. Like I, I had another one. Like I told you, I, I was a um, national level fighter. I trained my first student. My first student was at that point, again, as a 17-year-old, my girlfriend. And she became a national level fighter. She got, she got a national bronze within six months as well, which is impossible. But that that was, again, my little unusual thing I've done. 
Yeah, that's awesome because I didn't even know this about you. And I've known you for a while. I've been on your show a long time ago. I think it was during COVID, actually, I was on talking about some of the stuff that we were talking about relative to that. And I've been watching a lot of the things that you've been doing and a lot of the guests that you have been on. So this was awesome to hear this because I, I had no idea, you know, and I love when guests come on and they share things about themselves that even I don't know, you know? (laughs) Uh, We're all full of surprises. We're all full of like unusual things. Like um, this one right here, this little cup is from Moravian. And um, Moravian's a a university up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Okay. And um, uh, they they have a program, at least at that time, they had a program uh, from the Johns Hopkins CTYCA program. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, yes. Okay. So for those people who don't know what it is, it's the Center for Talented Youth. Mm -hmm. And essentially what that is, is you have to be, at that time, essentially a genius kid. Mm-hmm. And you had to get over something like a 1450 on your SATs to qualify. And you, these kids could be from all over the world. So it was a very, you, before the age of 11, you had to take the SATs and get over 1450 to qualify. So it's impossible to do. <laughs> um, so it was based on this guy who was a legit genius. And that that's what he kind of had to go through. Um, I landed up teaching in the course. I taught pharmacology and toxicology. Um, as a 20 year old, um, my, my, uh, my, my teaching assistant was four years older than me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's sort of, been, mm-hmm. I, I graduated, uh, uh, with my first doctor at 22 I had my second doctor at 25. So it's always sort of fun, weird pushing myself to do weird things. It's, it's been, uh, you know, that was one of the first things that when I met you, even prior to being on your show, obviously we were working on something together in the cannabis yeah. space a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, regs are still pretty much the same. Not going to yeah. lie. <laughs> yeah. um, since then the farm bill passed. So that was a, a win. Um, but that's when I first met you. And I remember being in this big conference room when I met you face to face with this, all these people, all these suits. I, I was one of the, I think there was maybe two other women in the room, um, with us, you know, and, and they were your colleagues. Um, (laughs) so I was the only woman representing my side of the camp. And it was amazing to hear you talk about all the different things that you understand. Um, and oh, it was just so cool. And I, I just liked you from the beginning because Thank you. no, it's true because you're very humble, even though you have all these acclimates and you've done all these wonderful things and all these degrees, which in the business setting, it's appropriate to talk about your degrees because your degrees back into your skills that are able to provide in that space. We were talking to a potential client that we were going to be working on, right. you know, together, but separate all in one, which was kind yeah. of cool to see. Um, and it was just neat to like hear you talk about all these things and the fact that you are a traditional pharma person and biotech like myself. And so it was cool to see you in the room with me. And this is some years ago when we yeah. were doing this, I don't know, was it 18 or something or 17, maybe I can't even remember. It yeah, yeah. It was a while, long time ago. Right. I mean, look, yeah. it's 2022 now. 
And, you know, at that time in 18, there weren't many of us traditionals in the space. And so that was another thing that I just loved about you was because you had the same kind of like, I don't care. We're just going to help people. Like that's at the end of the day, what we're trying to do, all kinds of people. It doesn't matter. They all need help. And if we can do it, let's do it. And so that was so awesome just to, you know, you're not afraid to try new things. And like, just like you talked about earlier about your podcasts, you know, your original podcast show, then you're doing some analysis based on viewers and responses that you're seeing metric doubt, which is very clinical, like we do. (laughs) So again, we're using those skills that we already have from that space to help us even with our podcasts. And so the reason why I'm, I'm saying all this and trying to point this out specifically is that there's a lot of skills we have as a human, right? I agree. And there's things that we could take with those skills and do other things like to get out of your comfort zone, yeah. right? For yeah. you to split a pot, uh, spit, I almost said pot. I did say pot. I didn't mean to say pot. Sp- <laughs> split across your podcasts yeah. to the way that you did it you know, that's brave because now you have to look for different types of guests. You're very comfortable in the life sciences space. You've spent so much time there. Now you're getting into the trans space, which you have obviously friends and colleagues, et cetera, but it's a different point of view now. And very much so. Like my podcast, when when I first started doing this, I was like, I I don't know. Like I'm usually on your side, as you know, like I'm usually being interviewed and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, people are going to want to listen to me. Why, why, <laughs> you know, like, why do they? And, and my team behind me was like, because there's so many interesting things that you talk about and there's so many different facets of your life that it's like an onion. Yeah. And, and that's how you are, Darshan. Wow. You're like an onion, Thank just you. like, you know, not stinky. Um, <laughs> Like the Grinch eats, but, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> but you are, I, we're like, we both are like onions where we just pull back one layer at a time, yeah. at a time, at a time. I mean, you have books, you have podcasts, you have papers, you've published, you've done multiple things in your career. You've worked on God knows how many FDA approved drugs, biologics, devices, nutraceuticals in your yeah. lifetime so far. I, I mean, it's, it's what I do. It's my life's work. I'm a, I'm a sixth generation pharmacist. Uh, my dad owned a pharmaceutical company. His dad owned a pharmaceutical company. And before that, they didn't have pharmaceutical companies. So they, they own pharmacies. And as far as I can trace back, that's what we used to do. So I knew that I am hopefully my life's work is dedicated to helping people get better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's what drives me. That's what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I struggle with that sometimes as to, is that, I know that's my true North. Mm-hmm. And the question that I'll, that I find myself asking over and over and over again is, am I still headed that true North? And mm-hmm. hopefully I still am. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. It's funny that you bring that up. Um, because there's times I've questioned, you know, things that I've worked on in my career, you know, um, drug-wise or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where I, when I see things happen in the space now, um, as we continue to uh, mature, I guess, is the best way to say it. Yeah. There's some things that I'm like, I question like, hmm, 
you know, like, uh, is that really the right thing to do? You know, because I, I, you know, like you, I'm very patient centric, people centric, you know, my, my job is to help people, you know, and, and that was handed down from my father, just like it was handed down by your father, your grandfather, all the way down, you know, probably your uncles too. And I know your mom's in there too. Um, But in my case, it was just my dad, you know, that that was the the really uh, the person who showed me from a labor perspective that he needed to help people, you know, make sure that they didn't get screwed in their yeah. job, you know, and that they had proper health care and that there were proper benefits and pensions that rolled to their family, you know, to their wife yeah. or husband, depending upon who died, you know, yeah. at that time. So when we see things, uh, it sometimes does punch us in the gut, like, boom, are we still doing this, what we think we're doing or not? Exactly. And I think it's it's kind of interesting. And there's a whole area of research emerging that I don't know if I have the emotional fortitude yet to handle. I think I'll get grow into it, but it's something I know we're going to go down where the super early stages of it. Um, called health equity, which I know you're familiar with, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a space that's still gathering steam. Mm-hmm. And um, to do true health equity for those people who are not in the in the health pharma world, um, health equity means it's great that you have all these medicines, it's great that you have all these treatments, but can people who need it access it? Mm-hmm. And um, and that sounds like a sounds like a you problem, not a me problem, except we're all in this together. That's right. So, so how do we make sure that patients get the help they need. And, and that involves looking at people's finances, looking at mm-hmm. what's them back. It's, it's looking at uh, this balance between privacy, patient privacy, and helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, and to help them, you may have to violate their privacy by obviously consensually, but, but asking those difficult questions. And do you have um, the emotional fortitude to handle some of the really difficult answers you're going to get? It's, um, it's tough. I I've got to say, you know, like, cause on the advocacy side, if I get out of R and D and what I do on that side and the, the tech side of, of the systems I built to collect data and such when I'm doing my APA job and I'm talking to these patients and, and sometimes financial stuff comes up just like you yeah. mentioned. And, yeah. um, it's upsetting you know, um, because these people will tell you things about their lives that they don't tell their doctors, their mom, their dad. And it's very upsetting, you know, especially when they don't have a lot of money, you know, and they're told that the cancer drug they need to take is going to cost them $55,000 a month. I know this because it happened to my dad, but luckily my dad negotiated a stellar contract when he was a teamster working for the turnpike. So he, you know, he did, he had a small copay out of that big chunk of money, but here he retired. He's blue collar. He doesn't have a golden parachute. He's not a Senator. He wasn't a Senator. And so like watching, you know, that those struggles, like first on myself with my eyes wide open, but then helping all these patients, you know, all these patients I talked to, COVID patients, palliative patients, DN patients, cancer patients, AIDS patients, HIV, you name it. And soon enough, monkeypox patients will be coming our way. And it does, it, you know, it, um, it takes a certain strength and an ability to, you've, you've got to change your brain a little bit yeah. when you're talking to these people, because it is upsetting, you know, like we're emotional people, we're, 
we, we, because of who we are by nature. So yes. it's, it's tough to walk that walk. It's, it's interesting. You, you talk about $55,000, which is expensive for, for obvious reasons, $55,000 a month. Um, what I dealt with was my experience as a pharmacist. And oh, yeah. I, was, I was staffing a pharmacy, a retail pharmacy, and a patient came in. I was, it was a store I didn't normally staff, but it was a, a patient came in and he said, look, um, I have 13 medications that need to be, re- that need to be renewed. I have $13. You tell me which medicine I can take. How do you handle that question? How do you yeah. answer that question for this gentleman? And I'll never forget just, I, I landed up giving him three or four pills free for each one of them. Cause we're allowed to do that as uh, we were allowed to do that at least then as pharmacists. Um, and then said, have a conversation with your doctor or someone, someone needs to help this. Um, but I, I remember actively thinking these are, these are not questions that anyone teaches you how to handle in, in pharmacy mm-hmm. school. These are no. not, um, that's why I have so much respect for social workers because, mm-hmm. um, this is their job every single day. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if I have the strength to do what they do. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things that it, it, being a social worker is not a high paying job, but it's one of those things that I think gets um, underappreciated a lot mm-hmm. because it, it, it's seen as, oh, um, quote unquote, anyone can do it. First of all, you need a, you need a license, need a degree to do it. But yeah. The, the the type of person who has to do it is very is putting themselves through some real emotional trauma to get yes to it. you have to absorb that from all of your patients yes them and and I I really yes I mean nurses are are like that to me as well they and uh, and domestic violence advocates yeah. and and those social exactly. workers exactly. you know I've exactly. I've had experience you know unfortunately or fortunately because now I can help people you know through the nonprofit exactly. on the domestic side. And, you know, it happened to me. My mother uh, was domestically abused, um, not by my father, just so people don't think that, but uh, another family member and his best friend. And uh, I've had to deal with that this year. And so it's, like you said, (laughs) it's tough. I'll tell you, I take deep breaths, you know, before I open my mouth a lot of the times when I'm dealing with these certain situations where I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. I, I try to center myself, you know, <laughs> yeah. so how, how do you calm yourself down in these situations? Um, well, you know, I, I, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, I pray a lot. Uh, I'm an active Baha'i as you, as you already know. Um, so, uh, there's certain prayers I'll say, um, uh, I believe in energy crystals and certain things that I wear at certain days, um, depending upon certain things that happen. I have a lot of them in my surroundings all throughout my house, including my office. That helps. But for me, I have to stop. Like you saw me do on the show and just take a deep breath and like, okay, begin. That's what I have to do because I've got to center myself. Otherwise, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bleed into my heart too much and I need to use my heart but I've got to balance my heart and my brain, you know, in those capacities when we're working with patients like that. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's such an amazing, amazing opportunity to talk to people, to, to talk to people. One, one of the best, when, when I was growing up, I, I had to choose between whether it's at some point I'm going to become a physician or become a lawyer. That, that was sort of the focus I had. And it was 
until the very last second, I thought I was going to be a physician. Um, and, and then I landed up sort of going down the law route. But one of the greatest gifts I've, got, I've gotten for being a lawyer has been the chance to talk to people when they have no friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everyone's abandoned them. Right. And um, your job as a lawyer is, as my law school professor told us, it's to be the last friend they have because mm-hmm. everyone else will abandon them, but you've got to stand by them. Mm-hmm. You owe them a duty of care. You owe them a duty of loyalty. You owe them zeal. Um, and and it's the same thing in patient advocacy. Every single day, you've got to walk in and you've got to say, yes, I know the system doesn't support what you need to do. I'm going to be here to help you get where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not going to do anything illegal, but we're going to no. find things that that help you achieve the goals you need to achieve and and figure out what goals they are and, and sit down and talk to people. And and you're doing those things. You're talking to those people every single day and, and helping them in that process. So, well, thank you for that. And, you know, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> Obviously, this was awesome, this discussion, because we talked about so many things. Now you see what I mean about this podcast. It's like, you never know where it's going to go. We start off, we start talking about my guest, whoever it is that's on, and then we go wherever we feel comfortable. So I really thank you so much for being on today and sharing, you know, some really amazing things with us, stuff I didn't know, things that you're doing, your intention, which I've I've kind of always knew that because I've known you for a while. Um, but I really appreciate you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on my show today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. So with that, as we always say, we are the same. I am Christina D'Arcangelo. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.